Welcome, everybody, to episode number two of the Gameology podcast. I am your host, Matt, from the United Kid YouTube channel. I am with Attila. Hello there. He's a game developer from Blue Screen Productions. He has a game out right now, Robo's World, the Zarnok Fortress. That's right. Out on Steam if you like Metroidvania mixed with Mega Man and speedrunning. But here we are going to be talking all about elements of game design. What, what makes games fun? What makes them not fun? And on this episode, we're going to be focusing on procedural generation. And that's something that's really come into focus over the last couple of years. I think game developers are really starting to... Um, fall in love with that and gamers all over again. Now, it's a quick history of it. There was a game that came out in 1980 called Rogue. So if you've heard the term roguelike, that's what it's from. Now, because there were memory limits, this forced the design into uh, creating procedural generation. They used ASCII characters, ASCII characters to make a visual interface, and the dungeons and enemies were all randomly generated, and that's where you get the term roguelike. Now, there are other big examples. Tetris is a randomly generated game. Dwarf Fortress had hundreds of procedural systems, very, very complex. Diablo in 1996 with its random dungeon layouts, random item generation. And of course, the big one, Minecraft. So Attila, what did you what did you want to delve into on this topic? So we actually sort of started to get into procedural generation at the end of our previous podcast when we started talking about uh, Minecraft and the, when it first came up. And I just figured it was a, a topic that really deserved its own... Uh, podcast so we could just talk a bit more about the uh, strengths and weaknesses of using procedural generation. And as you sort of touched upon, it's not just about uh, procedural generation of environments like the roguelike games, or even in the case of generating Minecraft's world, but it can also be a procedurally generated experience like you have in Tetris or other puzzle games and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the, the interesting thing about it, obviously a big pro of procedural generation is that you can have an endless experience with it. And for gamers, that can be a fantastic thing if there is enough there to keep it interesting. The con of it is that it could be boring and that you are kind of flying in the face of the narrative um, structure and having written beats of a story with peaks and valleys. Now, my my favorite game of all time is Shadowrun for the Sega Genesis, and it was a game that combined them in a, in a fantastic way in that there is a mainline story, but there is a random quest generator, and you could go to five or six different quest givers, and they would give you, because this game was all text, mm -hmm. they didn't have to re-record any of the dialogue, so they could just sub in different names, different randomly generated numbers for prices that you would get, and the loot that you would find, and this game could go on forever, you could beat it, and you could still play for years and years, and it would never run out of different missions for you to run on, so I can see why... That uh, for developers is a fantastic thing, and for gamers like myself, it's a great thing. So, as have you been using this much in uh, in developing games, or is it something that you're interested in? I really haven't, because I actually come down uh, much harder on the side of having everything in the game being touched by a designer. Um, that being said, I have created some procedurally generated experiences, shall we say? Because like there, there's a couple uh, like small puzzle or arcade type games I've created where the game itself is just sort of meant to unfold as the player goes through it. Like there, uh, there's one game called Speedrun, which is like a, a tiny game I made over the course of one summer when I was like 11 years old. No, 12, whatever. I was young. Um, and that was just a sort of simple, like bad things fly towards the player. Good things fly in between them. You got to smack the bad things, grab the good things, try not to, go too low or else you die and that's just basically this what i was crafting there 
was the challenge curve of making it so that more bad things appear over time, less good things, uh, things come at you faster, and it was just a sort of high score based survival game. So I think that uh, using procedural generation for creating those kinds of experiences, and what you talked about, those are procedurally generated experiences, those quests. What I don't think procedural generation should be used for is the creation of environments that the designer never sees. And the reason I qualify it like that is because if you use procedural generation to create an environment over the course of developing the game, like you hit a button, a randomly generated level is compiled, and you can look at it and go back in and edit it and tweak things and make sure things still fit, then it's a much more sort of refined experience than just pushing that whole set of rules um, and letting that happen, letting that random generation occur at playtime. Well, it kind of makes you think that, I mean, I think that is definitely a weakness that can happen is you look at Mario Mm -hmm. is one I was thinking of. And would it, could you have a, a randomly generated Mario sort of maker before the game came out where the level designers had certain, like, did they have a Mario Bible at Nintendo that Miyamoto makes them all abide by? Because I think when Mario Maker first came out, people realized it's really hard to make a great Mario level. And Mario is one of those games that you can just run and sprint and jump and it rewards you running fast and making that leap it, that leap of faith where I found with say Donkey Kong Country a lot of times I would run and jump and I'd want to have that experience and I'd get punished because I'd get impaled up the ass by a rhinoceros horn whereas people making these Mario Maker levels at first they had to learn and and really go in there and like you can't you could easily paint yourself into a box so I'm wondering if Nintendo could have like a set of rules where like we know that these work and could you make an infinite amount of Mario levels through that? We haven't really seen it yet, or maybe we don't know. Maybe there's only robots that work at Nintendo and churn <laughs> out Mario games, but perhaps they could take... I mean, you kind of have... When I was thinking about procedural generation, I was thinking that it almost takes the place of a human's involvement in a way of like multiplayer arenas. Now, when we were talking on the last show about using uh, the same environments over and over again, and how do you make that interesting? Mm -hmm. Well, Call of Duty, why is it interesting to play the same map? Because the people make a different experience every time. Yeah. So procedural generation is the AI making it interesting for you every time. It doesn't have a human there to like act a little differently to make different moves on the board, but it has different enemies to throw at you and different combinations in that way. So it's, I was thinking of what games you could do it with. And I was thinking hotline Miami. Yeah. I think that's definitely a game that you could just have these rooms generated in, in such, it almost feels like they really are, but they are crafted in a way that it ramps up and it teaches you the difficulty. You're saying that you would never be comfortable with it being put out there without you kind of having an eye on it, but... Yeah, like, it, but only insofar as the actual game environments. Like, you you sort of, when you're touching upon the, uh, the, the Mario side of things, like, has Nintendo created the sort of Mario Bible by which uh, Mario levels can be randomly generated, it sort of goes to the heart of, like, how are these systems created in the first place? And the answer is by creating essentially the same set of rules, not just that the game abides by, but that abides to our expectations as well. So like you need to make sure um, enemies, they should be placed on the floor. Usually, like enemies with legs, those have to be placed on the floor. Um, they should not be placed in such a space where when the player dies and respawns that the player gets insta-killed by those enemies. 
Um, coins should never be outside of the player's reach. You should never have a coin just floating mid-air that the player can never reach. Um, and there's a number of these rules which you have to sort of teach the procedural generation system uh, one at a time. Most importantly, uh, can you create a system where every jump that the system goes to create is possible? So you need to feed in all the data for uh, possible jump arcs for the player, like how far can they jump, how high can they jump, what are all the different sort of combinations of speed to height that will make sure that all the jumps are possible. Like, can you add a block somewhere so you can make an in-between jump somewhere? Are you going to um, run up into a situation where there's just an otherwise unforeseen combination of enemies? Like, that's the probably the reason why Nintendo has a tool as sophisticated as Mario Maker, but not something that can create levels procedurally because there are simply so many elements... Um, that the procedural generation could choose from at any given time, that it could easily create an unforeseen combination of elements that just turns out to be impossible or otherwise too difficult to the point where it's just not fun anymore. Yeah, and when I think about a Mario level, I'm thinking, what makes it fun? And if I'm thinking about two, a two-dimensional Mario level, what makes a great level? They're really just a series of challenges, one after another, that get increasingly harder as the game goes on and and they're done in a in a really charming way as opposed to say a 3D Mario which requires a lot more thought because i think one of the best things about say Mario 64 was was hopping in a level getting a clue looking around seeing something in that limited draw distance that it had on yeah. the N64 and finding out how do i get there and i think that that's something a procedure generation could never do unless I'm very naive and ignorant to it and that there's a way that they could teach it and eventually the robot could also make that level while hosting this podcast at the same time. <laughs> and and I, I guess I miss that touch of it. It, it definitely has its place and it doesn't. Um, so actually, there was another game I was thinking about very recently that could easily have, and that's Metal Gear Solid Five, mm-hmm. which is a game that reuses a lot of these same environments and you are doing basically the same mission over and over again you you attack a village and they just say this is the guy you happen to be extracting this time he's this level mm-hmm. and that's what makes it interesting so that you extract a guy who has a skill you need for your base and that could easily be procedure generated as you just go on this ever um they could even do it with the uh, a big carrot in that and metal gear slot 5 is upgrading and unlocking different weapons and mm-hmm. You could, in a way, generate a, just a better sniper gun or a better pistol and, and just like tweak the numbers and keep that going on and on forever. In a way, it's a lot like grinding in RPGs or pretty much any game now. Well, that, that kind of like um, randomly generated levels, like you, you or not levels, but um, weapons, you, you see that kind of thing in Borderlands where they're always talking about like, oh, there's an unlimited combination of guns because you can just take any part and combine it with any other part and you, there's just so many guns in that game. And that works because it's either a, not like necessarily a single player experience, like I know you can play it multi- multiplayer, but it is like a cooperative multiplayer experience um, because if you, you know, leave all the numbers of a weapon's um like various statistics of but like its rate of fire, its power, all these kind of things. Even if you were to assign values like weighting so that you could uh let's say your weapon has 
the rate of fire, the damage, and the clip capacity, just those three values. And you have to say like, okay, I have 100 points and I'm going to assign um, no more than like 33, 33, 33, or some, uh, you know, 34, just to make it even. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you could sort of like create that constrained system, but then you might find like, oh, well, having a clip capacity of two, but then having a super high damage and a super high rate of fire makes a gun way better than if it has a like 90 in clip capacity but then like a super low rate of fire and a super low damage like just because you've put um weights uh, like a limited pool to draw from in terms of like how far any given gun could be uh created it, it would still you'd have to put a lot of effort to make sure it's actually fair and really to the point where i think it would just be best to have a set number of guns created by a designer where those guns have all been like tested and compared against one another. And then, because the, the other thing is, it's not just about numbers at the end of the day. It's about, does this weapon feel fun to use? And I, I think that that's um, sort of the driving point between uh, behind a lot of my feelings on not creating wholly procedurally generated environments that Yes, you can create an environment that is endlessly possible to traverse. Like, even in a three-dimensional environment would be much more complicated. But you can just have a system that makes safe guesses and always makes a jump that's, like, easily within the player's um, attainable, like, reach or what have you. But at the end of the day, if you're just creating a system that makes safe guesses or possibly not safe guesses, what are the odds that something is randomly going to spit out something that's fun. And because fun is this sort of difficult to pin down quality, I'd say that makes a procedurally generated environment very difficult to craft just by using procedural generation alone. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. You know, when you're thinking that I was thinking of, um, yeah, like a really satisfying jump, say, just to go back to Super Mario Brothers, because it's such a basic yeah. language everybody understands. If it if it could know very easily how far the longest jump is, but then if it accidentally puts in, you know, a Koopa flying in the wrong direction, that it could make it impossible, yeah. you know, very easily. I, I mean, that's why with Mario Maker, no matter how much of a jerk you want to be when you're making your level, you have to complete it yourself. Yeah, and it's exactly. the And it's the smartest thing in the world. And in that way... They have quality checked against the the random generation of people. Mm-hmm. Because as we've seen on the internet, when you give enough people the ability to do something, you get a gigantic range of good to awful, to genius, to horrible. Uh, a game that came out recently with some uh, perceived generation was Galaxy. And this was a very challenging game, and it used this sort of roguelike thing of randomly um, putting enemies in and... You, what you find with a lot of these games is that they are a lot of times about loot, which is why Diablo was so successful, Destiny, yep. Division. And then you also find this punishing aspect where in Galaxy you have to complete a number of episodes to complete a season because it's it has this motif of um, being like a, a VCR series of an, of an old anime. It's actually a really cool game. You should check it out. But uh, they, they punish you just like in, in a Dark Souls game where you can build up all of this 
this loot, but if you die, you're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning to do it. But it seems like loot is one of the biggest ones. You mentioned that with Borderlands, and we've seen that with The Division and with Destiny. It's, this, it's the same mechanic that makes people want to gamble mm-hmm. and why people want to play a slot machine because they don't give it to you every time. It's random. Randomly, procedurally generated in that maybe it's your 174th pull on that slot machine or that time that you get that loot. And Diablo actually came out with a lot of the um, with the loot sort of tropes that we see now with like different colored loot and like more rare loot and and deeper. And I remember seeing people play that when it first came out, and I had never touched it. And to watch anyone else play it, it's just a bunch of clicking. But to get in there, it's um, like, do you have much experience with Diablo? Not really. Yeah, me neither. And but it, like even getting into Destiny, it's that for some reason I just don't have that inside me that cares about loot. Yeah. But I know that that is a huge driving force of people and how we've seen with the success of Division and these games. But so, like, what do you think are the best ways that we could be using procedural generation? And do you foresee any other ways that it could be used in the future, like ways that we haven't thought of? <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's start with what I think is the like best clear cut examples of procedural generation, uh, and the the easiest one that you can get away with is environment decoration. Um, when I was working on creating uh, some adventure maps in Minecraft with my little sister, I would be going in and creating like the paths for the players to follow and all these kind of things, but I would be using like one type of stone brick block, and then. What I, what I was tasking my little sister with doing, but what in an actual game development tool you would create a procedural system to do for you would be to go in and replace that single type of stone brick block with random types of stone brick blocks. And that way you have like some mossy ones and some cracked ones and it gives it personality. And that's something that's very easy to use a procedural generation system for is to decorate an environment with like a random assortment of trees of different shapes and sizes and that's not necessarily something when you're creating um a game like grand theft auto there's no way the developers would have the time to touch every single aspect of that environment but the draw of that kind of game is just having this massive world to explore and then the developers will go in and create special like deathmatch and arena places in the world which have been like very carefully tuned and crafted for firefights and that sort of thing but to fill in the space with like the buildings and the roads and like all the spots of gum and the sidewalks like all those kind of things that can easily be done by a procedural generation system so that's i think the best application of it um the second sort of really good opportunity to use it is in a lot of these like roguelike kind of games they just lend themselves really well to that Every time you get into the world, it feels like a, a new map, a new place. It, it lends really well to that game's sense of exploration and finding loot, which you touched upon is like a really great motivator for people. But if they knew where all those treasure chests were when they first entered the dungeon, they wouldn't get that same payoff of like, oh, I found a chest and it's got this awesome thing in it. So that's why you see that used a lot there. Um, and really, just anytime you're crafting an experience within a well-designed space that's where procedural generation really shines but i wanted to also touch upon a place where i personally think procedural generation can be used um, rather nefariously and that is in the creation of simple puzzle type games Um, specifically if i took a deck of cards and just threw it on the floor 
you know, 52 pickup, right? Is it any fun to pick up all those cards? No. And what if one of the cards was the golden card? <laughs> well, then you're starting to design a, a, a better game. But the well, what I'm driving at is, but with that example, um, it's incredibly easy to create, uh, using an algorithm, a puzzle. Like, let's look at Sudoku, for instance. All you have to do is use an algorithm to create a finished Sudoku, something that adheres to the rule of the, like, one numbers one through nine in a three by three cell box and the numbers one through nine in each row and column of the full size Sudoku grid. And then you just have to delete numbers at random. And there you've just generated a Sudoku for someone to play. But it actually is going to take more time to solve that Sudoku than it took to create it in the first place. And I think that really sort of drives at the sort of like, where should you be investing your time? You know, like, is it really worth investing your time playing a Sudoku, which can be created in less time for you to solve it than it took to create in the first place? And there are other, there are plenty of other puzzle games, um, plenty that I've seen on mobile. I don't want to call attention to any in particular because I don't want to be mean, but I, I just find that when I found, uh, when when I came across one of these games and I sort of made that realization in my mind of like, oh, the developer just created a whole bunch of arbitrary rules, created the solution, and then hit a button that scrambled this, and now I'm just wasting hours of my life trying to unscramble something that a machine did. It just really doesn't feel like, you know, you, you just feel like, oh, God, it's just such a waste of my time. But hang on, Attila, do you think that if you weren't a developer, didn't like you think that you're taking that personally or a bit of a bias because you're developing I'm sure games? I am. Because I'm it's, sure. I mean, could you not think of any games in that? Why am I wasting time being, you know, finishing a Mario level other than just the enjoyment of, of finishing it? And in a way, especially with like a with a puzzle game that's just procedure generated, are you not at least you're getting a little bit of little? Well, not to say the games don't mentally exercising you, but a puzzle game like that. I mean, could that not be uh, value in that? So. For sure. I, like like for me myself, if it's fun, I don't care if it took you one second to make it or if it took <laughs> you five years to make it. I'm sure on the other side of things, someone that spends three years making a game and then a speedrunner is like, I beat it in five minutes. Yeah. Well, I think like, you know, I, I, I'm kind of picking on Sudokus, but a lot of people really love Sudokus. So clearly there's something to that. I personally appreciate the challenge in like not just solving a Sudoku, but solving all Sudokus. Like, I would love to write the algorithm that, like, just completes and can, you can just feed any Sudoku to it, and it was like, oh, here, I'll spit out a finished result. Like, that's the way that I would play Sudoku, and the reason that I don't play normal Sudokus is just because, like, I don't find that sort of... It, you know, it's, it's actually very similar to, uh, like, a Rubik's Cube, right? Like, if you go through the trouble of actually learning to solve a Rubik's Cube yourself, that's really interesting and satisfying. But if you just look up a guide to say, like, oh, what are the algorithms I need to follow to unscramble this cube? Have you really solved it? And does getting faster at it, it yeah, it's, it's, it's satisfying and it's a great way to, like, sort of distract your hands and have something to fiddle with. But it's not the kind of puzzle-solving experience that I look out for. So I know that a lot of people can find um, just 
genuine enjoyment in having these little time wasters. Everyone, everyone has like a little time waster that they just like throw some time into. It's like, oh, especially in this day and age where people are like riding the streetcar or something, you've got any sort of second of downtime you try to fill with these little time wasters and, you know, cookie clickers or just super simple mobile games. And if you're playing a Sudoku, you're probably going to get more out of that than you would be a cookie clicker. So I'm not saying Sudokus are inherently bad. I'm just saying that I personally would hope that people value their time and value um, the craft of what goes into creating some of these puzzles. And I, I think that people are just overall going to have a much more satisfying play experience when the designer spent longer crafting the puzzle than the player did in solving it. Well, there you have it. Did you want to call it a show there? I, I'd say so. That's about everything I had to say on Procedural Generation. Well, that was... Uh second episode of the Gameology podcast with Matt and Attila talking about procedural generation. Episode 3 will be coming up and we'll be talking about what, Attila? The very next uh, topic that we have on our roster is talking about oh, what I'd written down as over-innovation, but we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. You can find me on Twitter and YouTube under the name GameThinkTalk. And where can people find you, Attila? They can find me at BluishGreenPro on Twitter and on my website, BluishGreenProductions. I will be posting blog posts regarding extended thoughts and what we've discussed in the show. Thanks for listening. Have fun out there.